0: Thank you. freeze in your brain. How long have I been Um forty-seven days into cycle. I'm Jen. I'll be your defence assistant today. I've made you some tea. Thank you. Zoe Harriet. Oh, but you know that. I've read all your files. Have them on my clipboard, see? Oh. The company has dropped three of the charges against me. You read quickly. That leaves thirty-six charges, including sedition, extortion, and threats to personnel computer says go straight to plea bargain. 63% chance you'll escape execution. I haven't done anything. Don't let your tea go cold. The company's evidence is pretty compelling. They just want revenge. I won't do what they want. Yes, we did offer a leniency clause. Here. You might possess data of value to shareholders, if you're willing to share that information. You think I travelled in time? We have evidence showing you did. That was someone else. Someone I met once, a long time ago. The Doctor. You travelled in time with him? I wanted to. Could have stowed away in his ship, gone anywhere or when. But I... I don't know why I didn't. I dream about where we might have been. Chased through the fog by the Romans, sat on the wall on the roof of a skyscraper, paralysed with fright. A shooting star racing past a dead space station. But their dreams... They never happened. You told my colleague, uh, she said her name was Ali. Ali? She was. She asked me about. About. I remember everything. Ali used achromatics to heal your memory. Here. The creature breaks into misty tendrils, enveloping the doctor, forcing itself under his skin, inside him, through and between every particle of his body. The doctor gasps. Well, that's... I don't remember saying that. We don't know why the healing didn't last. There's a lock on your mind or something. Oh, that's ridiculous. Yeah. The company says either you're pretending not to remember, or the memory loss is related to guilt and stress, a sign of your unstable character. How would I know? I don't remember. Oh, thank you, yes. Wait, you've put something in the tea. It hasn't got caffeine. I don't know what tea has got. Catechins, theanine, theobromine, theophylline, trace carbohydrate and protein. Oh, sorry. I read the label of a box in a kitchen on Pluto. You've not been on Pluto for 17 years. Total recall, yet huge gaps in your memory. So you tell me. Do you think you're unstable? Your colleagues describe you as calculating, ruthless. You don't let anyone get close. (laughs) Who said that? Testimony is given in confidence. Perhaps it's professional jealousy. It's in their favour to support the company's case. And yet... There's some truth in what they say. You do have problems with your memory. We want to help you. I didn't travel in time. You don't understand. You're only of value to the company if you did. Then I'm dead. I've read your files. And I think I've found you. Look. These are scans from an archive on Earth, 150 years old. Type scripts of decoded messages sent to the Foreign Office when foreign meant other nation states. History is not my best subject. They're all stamped top secret. How did you get them? The company found them. They're part of the evidence. They don't tell the whole story, but you were in Uzbekistan in 1919. No. I. I. If you could remember, if you could fill in the gaps, you wouldn't have to. Well, it's your only way out of this. What do you think? I. I think I... I... I stepped from the TARDIS into the hot, dusty street we'd landed in the shade of a double avenue of trees. Water babbled in the gutter, feeding the trees and keeping us cool. There were people on horseback. I didn't recognise the styles of clothes or houses, apart from them being old. An old-fashioned early motorcar puttered by, all squat and boxy, no thought to aerodynamics. Oh, will you look at that? Jamie pointed up the road. Men were busy cutting down the trees. Beyond them, the naked street shimmered where they'd exposed it to the blazing sun. Where are we? I asked, appalled to see them spoiling this beautiful, cool place. Behind me, the doctor licked his finger and held it up in the air. Well, yes, Zoe, I think we must have... uh... Arrived a little east of the Caspian Sea. The Doctor. I was with the Doctor. It isn't possible. I remember everything. I remember nothing. Did I say that before as well? It's on file. What have you done to me? It's not the company. We want to help you remember. Someone did this to me. Don't force it. We were in Tashkent, August 1919. I don't remember, honestly. The Bolsheviks had taken charge in the North. People waited for them to make their presence felt in the South. The war cast a shadow. Fuel was running low. And then there was what was happening to the children. What was happening to the children? Let's see what you remember. You're right about cutting down the trees. Everyone with the right coupon in their ration books got assigned one. People with saws made a fortune. It's all in Lansing's report. Lansing? You met him that first afternoon in a restaurant called The Cup of Tea. One of the few still open. I've got an image of him somewhere. He said no one else dared go near the doctor. What? Why? Oh, I do remember something. It's just what the doctor would do. The town was eerie. As we made our way through it, we saw gaunt, staring faces, old before their time. Men missing limbs from the fighting. One sorry-looking group wore hats that bore the letters F, J and I. Austrian prisoners of war, said the doctor, unable or unwilling to head home. It was hot and we were very hungry and everywhere was closed. And then... A waiter dashed over as we came in, forcing an obsequious smile. He looked the doctor up and down and clearly didn't like what he saw. The doctor was short and scruffy. He wore a tailcoat and bow tie, but they had seen better days. The waiter sniffed. I'm sorry, but we're full. There are no places. The doctor glanced forlornly at the busy tables, rich and important people in the midst of their meals. A pair of old ladies glanced at us with dismay and then made a point of turning their backs. They were snooty but also anxious. The women, the other diners, the waiter. The doctor smiled a sheepish smile. Oh, now, that is a shame. Everywhere else seems to be closed and we are so very hungry. The waiter folded his arms. There are no places you must leave. Hey, wait, there's a table over there. Jamie pointed through the window to a spot outside, under the shade of the trees. The table had been laid with so much cutlery and glassware, it took me a moment to realise it had only been set for one person. Aye, we'll be just fine there. As Jamie started towards the table, the waiter let out a squeal. No, that table's not free. Ah, come on. We won't be long and we're starving. Bring us some of whatever that lass is having. He grinned at the woman, trying to enjoy her meal in peace. I tried to intercede. Jamie, they're obviously expecting someone very important. The waiter nodded eagerly. He might arrive at any time. An officer of the Extraordinary Commission. The words were meant to impress us he sent a chill through anyone close enough to overhear but Jamie and I had no idea what they meant the doctor stroked a finger slowly over his lip and this officer what does he look like? the waiter rolled his eyes well he hasn't arrived yet then uh, how do you know I'm not him the waiter stared in horror mouth moving slowly failing to shape the right words the doctor smiled kindly at him my friends and i really don't want to put you to any trouble we'd like whatever you'd care to feed us and then we'll be on our way we're all comrades now aren't we the waiter gibbered and blinked and managed to nod his head then he quickly led us out to the table does that match lansing's report He just says he rushed over to the restaurant when he heard the checker officer had arrived. Here's the image. Richard Lansing. You remember him? It's written underneath. And also, you couldn't forget that moustache. Born in Romsey in 1876. Wounded in a war in South Africa. Awarded a medal for gallantry. The photo makes him look stern. He was kind. And he noticed things. He says the doctor had the whole town running round after him by the time you'd finished eating. Of course he did. And Lansing came up to you, what, later that afternoon? I don't remember the exact time. Let's see. When I brought up the missing children, the comrade doctor, that's what he calls him, seems to have no idea what I meant. But he's an inscrutable little fellow, and before I knew it... The doctor teased it all out of him. Missing children? Lansing worked at a school. He knew some of the children who'd gone and he had no clues as to what might have happened. Some of the locals blamed witches or aliens, by which they meant people from other nation-states. Lansing was checking us out, but he also wanted our help. So, to his own amazement, he invited the checker officer back to meet his wife. He led us across town through that blazing afternoon. As we passed into the Old Town, a woman came out of one of the houses and stumbled towards Lansing. Her eyes were awful to see, such pain and despair. In her hand she clutched a rag of material, sopping wet. Lansing said nothing, just put his arms around her. They held on to each other while we watched, feeling awkward. Then Lansing introduced the comrade Doctor as the man who was going to help. She didn't seem at all grateful. Whatever had happened to her, whatever she had lost, she was still scared of the chequer. The garment you're holding, can I see? But the woman wouldn't share her precious brand. It was all she had left of her child. Lansing School was in the Old Town, where the land was cheaper. It had once been a stable, I think, A few grubby boys and girls played a version of football that involved lots of shoving and fouls. Jamie had never played football, but was quickly caught up in the game. Hey, you said hands weren't allowed. Some of the townsfolk came out to watch, to laugh and point at the grown-up little boy. I realised now they were also watching the school, watching over the children. I didn't play. I thought it was silly, but nothing to be gained from the contest. These children, so different, so wild compared to those I'd grown up with on the elite programme. I think they frightened me a little. I knew they were keeping busy, distracting themselves from the horror they dared not speak of, when they should have tried to solve it. I followed the doctor and Lansing inside. That's where I met Elizabeth. She was tall and graceful, but haunted like everyone else brave to be out there, dedicated to the children. There was such sadness in her eyes. The doctor made a special effort to charm her. We don't have an image of her. Just the things we glean about her from Lansing. Lost her brothers in the war. Maybe that was it. But also that whole town. There was an air about it like grieving. Something in the air. You could almost touch it. The Lansings tried to make us at home with what they could spare. Over rough coffee like gravel, they told us what little they knew about the missing children. They vanished from their beds at night, one by one. Sometimes while their families slept in the same room. Are you all right? You don't have children? No. Then you can't know what it's like? If something happened to them, just thinking it might... That's what was eating up the town. Not the war, or the shortages, or the new regime. Well, those things as well. But then this. There was no trace of a culprit, a reason. There were the usual rumors that one social group had it in for another. If the Comrade Doctor hadn't arrived when he did, the whole show might have gone up. What? Nothing. That's how Lansing describes it his very words. Then I am remembering. But you didn't tell Lansing the truth. You kept up the pretense so you could help them. People you'd only just met. That's what the Doctor did. And you. That's good. It might help you with the things they've said about the kind of person you are. Will it make any difference? It can't hurt. At least this is working. I... I think telling the story helps me bring it back. Okay. Lansing told you what he knew, but the afternoon was getting on. The school children had to be home before nightfall. Hey! Come back now! Outside in the yard, the football match ended abruptly. We ran to the window to see a small boy hurrying away down the street, his arms cradling the football. Other boys and girls streamed after him, not to regain the ball, but so they'd not be left behind. The light was fading. A few scant stars could be seen in the darkening sky. A shiver ran through me, perhaps at the sudden cool of the evening, perhaps at the urgency of the children running home. There was no fuss, no chatter, as if whatever came in the night might hear them. And still that feeling in the air to Scotland. Jamie stood alone in the schoolyard, staring after the children. No, not alone. A small, dark-haired girl hovered beside him. Her name was Liziza, a small, timid girl whose brother had been taken just two nights before. She cowered behind Jamie as the rest of us came out into the yard. Lansing told Liziza to answer Comrade Doctor's questions but even when the doctor tried his most winning smile, she only shook her head. To our surprise, Jamie stepped between the doctor and the girl. Hey now, you want to talk to her? You have to talk to me. He turned to the terrified girl. Do you not want to answer his questions? The girl carefully shook her head. Then you won't answer his questions. Do you want me and your teacher to see a safe home? The girl considered looking nervously to Elizabeth Lansing, who quickly said that she had come too. Liziza glanced round up the fast, darkening street, then reached out to take Jamie's hand. The sky burnt amber and scarlet, the stars ever bolder as we made our way through the old town. Liziza led Jamie and our small party, me, the doctor and the Lansings. From doorways peered fearful faces, worn down by recent years and whatever preyed on the town. Lansing called out to them, explaining that Comrade Doctor had come all the way from Moscow to help them. Some darted back into their homes. Other, braver souls came out for a better look at this man from Moscow. A few of them tagged along behind our party, never daring to come too close. And yet I had that sense that I always had when I was with the doctor. Whatever was happening, whatever horror we faced, we were going to solve this. We were a party of twelve as we made our way down a narrow, unpaved street. There were small, one-storey homes of adobe brick, the flat roofs covered over in mud. Suddenly, a short, stocky woman barreled into us out of the dark and wrenched the girl from Jamie's grasp. Now, hey! We stood there out in the street as Liziza was hugged tight by her mother. None of us knew what to say. I wanted to turn away, to be anywhere else. Made me think of my own mother, recalling in perfect detail that moment she'd hugged me tight one last time before handing me over to the programme. She'd been so fiercely proud and pleased for me. Her tears had been tears of joy. Liziza's mother had the good manners to invite us all into her home. There wasn't room in the small space, but everyone squeezed in anyway. There was a single chair by the open fire, and a pair of pretty silk cushions beside it on the cleanly swept stone floor. I spotted a few handcrafted ornaments. It's odd to see a family home completely devoid of images of the family. There were no photographs or drawings. It was awkward in such a crowd, and I couldn't see how the doctor would ask his questions. But he didn't. He simply put his arms round the woman and held her. We watched, dumbly, some of the neighbours with tears down their faces. Then Laziza's mother stepped back from the doctor and curtly told him about her son. Staz was a good boy, did his chores without being told to, and had never run off before. His mother and sister had not heard a thing. They'd slept until morning, then found Stas gone. There was no sign of a struggle, no blood. He'd simply vanished into the air. Some of the crowd around us mumbled something as if doubting the story. The woman lowered her eyes. I could see that her neighbors had already voiced their theories as to what she might have done to her son. That seemed so desperately cruel, and yet I couldn't help wondering if they might be right. The doctor only nodded, no hint that he doubted her, then asked to see where the boy had been sleeping. There wasn't a separate bedroom. The mother and her children simply curled up in the back of the room we were standing in. No one else seemed to think that unusual. Liziza's mother showed us the spot where she'd last seen her son, in the corner by the back door. She explained that he always slept in the same place, to spare his mother and sister from the draft. Carefully, the doctor perused the spot, patting the empty blankets. What do you make of this, Zoe? He pointed at a patch of wetness by the door, silver where it caught the light. As I made my way over for a better look, he stopped me getting too close. Hey, it's just a spider's web. You're not scared of spiders. Everyone's scared of spiders, Jamie. And this isn't ordinary web. It was thick and lumpy, like plastic or pale flesh. The sight of it turned my insides over. And again, that tang in the air, that pervasive terror. Careful not to touch the stuff, the doctor opened the back door and looked out onto a small oblong yard. At the far end stood a brick building the size of the TARDIS with a sloping roof. Behind it, ragged hedge. Far beyond, the jagged mountains shone silver and eerie under the stars. The doctor told the woman he would do everything he could, but made no promises about her son. Though she thanked him, I saw how that hurt her. We went back out into the street... The doctor asked to see another of the houses from which a child had vanished. The people who joined us whispered among themselves before deciding where to lead us. The next house was some streets away in a grander part of the old town. There were patterned tiles on the walls, but again, no images of the family. We were made to take off our shoes as we went in, just me, the doctor, Jamie and Lansing. The man whose house it was made it clear that his neighbour should wait outside. He was a strange man, more interested in impressing the doctor with his knowledge of current affairs than he seemed in his missing son. While his wife looked on with a pallid smile, the man explained that his eldest boy, who had thankfully been spared, would soon be joining some political party. I had to stop Jamie from berating the man, but I didn't know what to think myself. This man, so proud of his eldest son's prospects, so terrified of the doctor. Again, I thought of my mother that final time, so fiercely proud and pleased for me. Her tears had been tears of joy. The doctor was shown into the missing boy's room, an immaculate cube on the first floor. The Doctor made his way to the window and looked out on the view of the distant mountains. And on the sill, he showed Jamie and I tendrils of that thick, fleshy webbing. It's some kind of giant spider. I do hope not, Jamie. No, I think it's something else. A larger crowd had gathered as we went back outside, eager to hear what the comrade Doctor might say. He asked if anyone among them was missing a child, and two men nervously raised their hands. The doctor made his way through the crowd to them. Now, this is important. The doors and windows where they slept, in which direction did they face? The two men didn't answer at once. They glanced quickly at each other, then ran to the crowd, not sure what the doctor wanted to hear. I shuddered feeling their dread of this strange, powerful man from the new regime who asked such loaded questions. But one of the men dared to come forward. The windows in his son's room looked east. The doctor clapped his hands, turning to the other man. And yours? Yes, the room in the other man's house had a window looking east. The doctor took the man's hand and shook it with excitement. (laughs) Well, that's it then. It's obvious. It wasn't obvious to Lansing. Not until the Doctor explained it. The children had all been taken from rooms with windows or doors facing east. The houses were all on the edge of the Old Town. From those two separate rooms, the Doctor had looked out on the same view of the mountains. Even if some houses were richer than others, or practiced different religions? That's what Lansing and the others couldn't see past. The thing taking the children didn't care about people's beliefs or money. And it left this fleshy cobweb. Lansing never mentioned that. You remember the thing that made it? I remember... The doctor explained that someone had taken the children. That it came in from the mountains. The bushes growing at the back of Liziza's house had been pressed inward towards the house where something larger than an average man had come through before leaving again with Liziza's brother Stas. This something had also been able to reach into first floor windows. One child had been taken from a house on the edge of town each night. Aye, but not tonight! Isn't that right? Yay! They organised themselves with an occasional prod from the Doctor and Jamie and me as his colonels. Word got round quickly, gaunt men and women coming to join us, desperate to help where they could. And then we waited. The Doctor and I hid together behind a low wall at the back of one building. Over the wall and some miles away stood the Starlit Mountains. On our side, across the yard, leading to the back of the house, I couldn't quite make out Jamie in the shadows, though I knew he was there. The things you hear out in the open back when there were so many more animals. We waited and waited. My legs ached with cramp. I glanced at the doctor to find him sound asleep. I nudged him with my elbow, but he only rolled over, rubbing the back of his hand across his face like a sleepy puppy. The doctor's eyes were suddenly open. We crouched there, listening, not making a sound. The doctor slowly raised his head to look over the low wall. I crouched perfectly still beside him. When he didn't say anything, I carefully joined him, peeping out at the distant grey mountain. Uh, it's all right, Zoe. I can't see anything. The crowd charged from the hiding places, wielding flaming torches. I saw Jamie leap the low wall and charge into the night, swinging a torch above his head. The Doctor and I stood, staring after him and the others. And then I saw what they had seen. It stared in horror at the small human beings and fire charging fast towards it. There were no eyes in its lumpy, misshapen head, but its mouth fell open to let out a terrible wail. The creature wore the tatty remains of some kind of uniform, as if it had burst from its seams. The exposed, pale skin, glistening like porridge, reflected the oncoming firelight. And then, with a grace you would never have expected, It turned on its long, misshapen legs and haired away, back into the darkness. You called it a creature? It was twice the size of any of the men who scared it off. What did Lansing say? He says it was like a creature, with a cry like an animal. But he saw a man, a tall man, deformed or badly burnt. I remember... I don't know what I remember. You both saw it so briefly. I don't know. Lansing might have been wrong. Two lines in one of his letters, I'll show you. I know, it's the one I've got up. A tall, misshapen man, his skin glistening and pale like a walking cadaver. And this unspeakable thing is what's been taking our children. Let's take a break. Have some more tea. I don't remember any more of that night. We don't need to go on till you're ready. I want to remember. You slept. Lansing says people took it in turns to stay up and keep watch in case the man, the creature, came back. But it had been a long night, and the doctor sent you back to the school with the Lansings. Elizabeth made up the spare bed. I don't... Oh, I remember a quilt, like you see in museums. You must have slept. I don't have trouble sleeping, but when I sleep, I dream. Things tried to grab me, to catch me, to shape me into them. I think I dreamt of monsters even then. Perhaps it's what you saw that night. Whatever you saw, you never quite escaped it. Or it did something. Reached out. Planted itself in my head. Lansing stayed up to write his account of everything he witnessed that day. He'd a good eye for detail. And you can see his pleasure in how things had turned out. There's still work to be done. The man must be apprehended, but the mystery is over. Do you remember what happened next? I must have woken. Yes, I woke up. Oh, Oh! 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 It was all right. The thing hadn't got me. I was on the makeshift bed in the school that had once been a stable. Elizabeth Lansing made me more of the gravelly coffee. Her husband had only just left, called away by a note from the doctor. I was furious. Didn't he call for me too? He can't expect me to stay here and help you run the school. I hated the thought that he'd left me out, but I'd also be no good with the wild children. They trusted Jamie because he played football. Doesn't that say it all? Elizabeth explained that her husband had told her to stay behind with me so that we'd be safe. She couldn't disobey her husband, unless, she said with a smile, I was to tear off after him. Then she'd have to come after me. But I don't know where they've gone. Elizabeth handed over a scrap of paper on which the doctor had scrawled an address. We left a notice that the school was closed, then hurried away down the street. My heart was pounding, worried that we might miss the doctor and the others. They would be heading for the mountains, tracking the creature back to its lair. Even by daylight, in a group carrying guns, that thing we'd seen, the pale and glistening skin. And also, my dreams still haunted me. The thing reaching out to bundle me up in fleshy cobweb. But I wouldn't be left out. A crowd jostled outside the house, rubbernecking to see inside. Uniformed men made up a cordon, keeping them out. But they recognised Elizabeth as we pushed through the crowd and we were allowed into the house. Something was wrong. Something was terribly wrong. We made our way past more uniformed men to an upstairs room. It was packed with people, better dressed and more important than those crowding outside. I struggled to get through them, and they parted around me. The doctor, Jamie and Lansing, looked up at me from a bench not quite wide enough for them all. I laughed at Lansing's shocked expression as he saw that his wife had come with me But my laugh died away as I realised it wasn't just surprise, but horror. Ah, Zoe, this is, uh an officer of the Extraordinary Commission. The doctor nodded across the room to another uniformed man. I'd thought he was just one of the soldiers, or police, or whatever they were. He wasn't tall or handsome. He didn't look very strong. There was nothing special about him except that everyone else was so terrified. He gazed at me intently, and I stood my ground, glaring back. The Cheka investigator, the real Cheka investigator, held my eye and smiled. Malik Chebrikov. I looked him up separately. The file says the Cheka An acronym for the All-Russian Extraordinary Committee to Combat Counter-Revolution and Sabotage. Secret police? A bit like the company. You remember him? Chebrikov? I... Yes. Fearsome. Fearless. Heart and mind alight with political zeal. The new regime. It had overthrown a king. There was... The doctor explained it to me. A revolution, a huge, desperate effort to make the world better by force. You make him sound like a good man. Things in his file... Ruthless. Determined. The things my colleagues might have said about me, if they thought the company wanted to hear it. You don't remember what he did? You're meant to be on my side. What did he do? He killed them. The Lansings. What? Both of them. It's in the file. You read the letters, the ones going back, and you feel you almost knew them. And you did. You were there, weren't you? No. Everyone else in the room was so terrified, you said. Everyone else, even your clever doctor, everyone except you. Why not? Or don't you remember? No, I remember. I remember the rest of the story. But it wasn't Malik Chebrikov who killed the Lansings. It was me.) <laughs> What? Both of them. It's in the file. You read the letters, the ones going back, and you feel you almost knew them. And you did. You were there, weren't you? No. Everyone else in the room was so terrified, you said. Everyone else, even your clever doctor, everyone except you. Why not? Or don't you remember? No, I remember. I remember the rest of the story. But it wasn't Malik Chebrikov who killed the Lansings. It was me. Do you want me to continue? What? Yes. You might not like what you hear. I might turn out to be cold and calculating and whatever else they said. I might be a killer. I don't know if we could charge you for the deaths of these people. It's the other charges you need to consider. The Leniency Clause is quite simple. Share what you know about time travel and... I don't know about time travel. I don't remember. But we're making such progress. That has to count in your favour and you do remember. Your story matches the evidence, the letters that Lansing sent. Lansing died, so he couldn't know how it ends. I remember an end to the story, but how will you know if it's true? I'm meant to be calculating. I could tell you anything. What will this prove? We'll leave that to the company. Telling the story helps you to break through whatever's been done to you. Maybe I wanted to forget what I'd done. Maybe. But now what's buried away in your head is the only thing that will save you from execution. So what have you got to lose? That, at least, is logical. All right. Malik Chebrikov gazed at me and smiled. Without turning away, he told his men that the bourgeois English bred their women like domestic fowl. They were too stupid to be afraid. I understood his Russian. But it took me a moment to realise he meant me. Now, just a moment! His eyes opened wide and he laughed. His men, not quite as terrified as the rest of the crowd, or more keen to please him, made a show of laughing too. Chebrikov made his way over to me. I didn't flinch. I held my ground. Now, he said proudly, he could see I was good Russian stock. I tried to protest, but he laughed. That, he said, was a very Russian temperament. The revolution meant women were the equals of men. I saw the hand coming. He meant to slap my behind. I grabbed his wrist, ducked round and under his arm and threw him over my shoulder. He lay there on the floor, laughing. You do believe me? You were on the elite programme. Taught how to defend yourself. Yes. It's just, it, it's more the sort of thing that I dream about happening, not something that really took place. Me, the action hero. Well, there's no evidence that Chebrikov didn't like assertive women. Absence of evidence isn't evidence of, well, you know. But Chebrikov liked you. And you liked him. Despite what it says about him in your file. The file doesn't give context. Or it gives the wrong context. He had an impressive list of arrests and achievements. Another file explains what the checker were like. What that list might really mean. Later testimonies, secondary sources. They build up a picture of the world he came from. He could have been all the things the evidence suggests. A successful officer in the secret police. Even his own men were terrified. But you liked him. Is that enough? This isn't about him. The evidence based against you... Might also be correct. Because this man, this officer of the secret police, with his arrests and achievements... I liked him. And he liked me. He said, without raising his voice, that he should have me and my friends shot. I told him plainly that that wouldn't achieve anything useful. He said it was a simple matter of justice. The doctor had passed himself off as a Bolshevik officer. No, I said as an investigator and he hadn't passed himself off. We'd seen the thing taking the children. We argued coolly back and forth. I put a proposal in logical terms. We had planned to track the creature to its lair. Chebrigov could come with us and bring his men. If we were successful, he, as the real investigator, would claim the success. He didn't seem convinced by this glory, I explained that it could only benefit the Bolshevik regime if their investigator was so successful within hours of arriving in town. He concurred. But what if we're not successful? I turned to the doctor and Jamie, still wedged on the bench beside Lansing. The doctor watched in fascination as I played my hand. You said you should have us all shot. You can do it out there. We made our way through the hot, dry terrain, the mountain never seeming to get any closer. Sweat beaded on my brow, and I'd worn completely the wrong thing for such heat. The sparkly catsuit baked against my skin. They hadn't allowed us much in the way of supplies, just what the camel would carry. The soldiers didn't want to be weighed down by our stuff if we weren't all coming back, and yet they allowed us time to prepare. The doctor checked maps, Jamie filled canteens of water. Lansing wrote to a friend explaining that he and Elizabeth were in Chebrikov's custody and what should be done with the school. That will be the last letter from him in your file. We made slow progress on foot. I hung back with Elizabeth, walking together on one side of the camel. Elizabeth walked with such poise, as if she did this sort of thing every day. Ahead, the Doctor and Lansing led the way, tracking tracks that the rest of us couldn't see. The Doctor, in his shirt sleeves, his checked trousers rolled up to his knees, kept glancing back to ensure we were all following. Jamie, Elizabeth, Chebrikov and his soldiers. The Doctor eyed their guns but said nothing. Every so often he'd stop, crouching down to examine some innocuous patch of ground or what might have been a damp end of cobweb. Lancing would join him. They'd hum and ha, and then we'd go trudging on, never getting any closer to... Oh! We'd pass round the side of the mountain and come over the top of the ridge. A valley dropped away before us, exposing a terrible sight. The low foundation of stones was black from where the rest of the building had been incinerated. I tried to make out the shape and size of the dwelling from the scant remains. A house, perhaps two... Perhaps a community of homes. Only Jamie and I were shocked by it. Elizabeth explained that the place had burnt down in the war. That there were far worse sites for hundreds of miles around us. Whole towns had been pummeled to the ground. Millions dead. Millions more wounded. Millions more facing famine and sickness. Chebrikov shook his head. His people would build a new world. One where there could be no war. The words chilled me to the bone. I knew he couldn't be right, but I so wanted to believe him. So I asked what his people hoped to do. Children brought up to be useful and logical. A state that provided, that was constantly vigilant, so that there was only minimal crime. It's monstrous. That's what the others said. I can still see Jamie's face. He was from simpler times. But he was right. History was never my subject. But at the time, back then, when I'd been travelling with the doctor, it reminded me of all I'd left behind. That's what you saw in Chebrikov, A kindred spirit? His certainty about the future. The way he dismissed the past. The files we've got on the Bolshevik regime. I don't know what happened to Chebrikov's revolution. But there, out in the heat on the mountainside, He made it sound so good. The children. Brought up to fit this perfect new world without the emotional attachments and fears. The prejudice. You've said it before. That town was full of rumour and fear. The long shadow of the war. The Doctor might have saved the Lansing's lives, turning up when he did. Except they died a day later. Because of you, you said. They died that morning when we found the creature. Beyond the burnt-out buildings, we at last found the spaceship. The doctor saw it first, pointing up the dry and dusty mountainside to the arc of glinting silver. Chebrikov reached for a pair of binoculars. He thought the glinting might be a mirage. But no. As we pressed on up the slope, the arc became a smooth sweep of silver pressed into the earth. The ground was torn up to its left, where the thing had crash landed. Chebrikov ushered his men slowly forward to investigate. Only when they got close could we judge the size. As long as some of the richer houses we'd seen in the Old Town, large enough to house the creature and all the missing children. There was no visible way into the perfect silvery surface. The doctor made his way over to help. The side of the ship rippled like water, melting away to form an oval-shaped door. The Doctor made to enter, but Chebrikov stopped him and let his men inside first. It should have been a relief to be out of the sun. My heart was hammering with fear. The single room was bathed in pale blue light. The air inside the ship cool against our skin. The Doctor made his way over to the amorphous raised structure at the far end of the room, The ship's only apparent controls. The soldiers gazed round at the glowing blue ceiling. Chebrikov stopped at a partition in the wall leading to a separate room. He stared coolly at whatever he saw. Elizabeth went over to join him and let out a horrified gasp. The children were there, lashed up against the wall in what might have been thick spiders webs. The doctor hurried over, dashing into the room to examine them. The children were alive, he said, but being kept unconscious. The webbing, sticky and warm to the touch, was some kind of network to feed and keep them stable. He explained it to Lansing and Chebrikov as being like the irrigation system for trees on the streets of Tashkent. They didn't like the comparison. The creature was also lashed up to the wall in the same thick, fleshy webbing. It was a creature, whatever Lansing had thought. Twice the size of a man, its huge, lumpy head showing no eyes or ears, only a cavity for a mouth. Its skin was like porridge, glistening, opaque. The doctor indicated the vivid pink blotches across its torso and one enormous arm. I rather think this fellow has been in the walls. Those are burns. Lansing protested. We'd chased it off with fire the previous night, but no one had got close. The doctor explained, no, the burns were much older. This ship and its pilot had taken at least a year to recover from the crash. Chebrikov understood. However extraordinary what he was seeing, he had a cold and rational mind. This craft, this spaceship, had been shot down in the war. The doctor nodded sadly. It had probably been observing and got too close. But that still didn't explain the children. The ship was ready to leave now. Why didn't the creature just go? The doctor would have woken the creature to ask it, but I stopped him. We had to rescue the children first, get them away from any danger. The doctor concurred, and we examined the fleshy webbing holding them to the wall. The network supplied nutrients to their small and sleeping bodies. The children looked comfortable, dreaming contented dreams. Jamie said it was almost a shame to wake them. But I traced the network round to a cluster of thick flesh. I reached my fingers round the warm sticky tendrils and I pulled it from the wall. It killed the Lansings. They were standing nearest to the creature when it woke. When I woke it. You killed them, not Chebrakov. He saved the rest of us. Pointed his gun at the sleeping children. What? It was logical. The creature had gone to such pains to keep them alive. They had to be valuable. But he'd never have fired. To save the rest of us. The creature didn't need that proof. You could speak to it. Oh yes, it was quite articulate. It thought the children were in danger. It had seen the war up close, what humans did to one another. And as it healed, it had seen the famine and sickness. It wanted to rescue the children offered them a life on planet K 1191. The doctor had picked that up from the amorphous structure of controls. K 1191? If we can verify the species, that's good. The creature killed the Lansings. Yes, not you. But because of my mistake. I misunderstood the way the network ran, so I'm the one to blame. No, the creature lashed out. It thought the children were in danger. It thought they needed saving what happened the doctor agreed with it what i uh, think we should allow the children to go don't you chebrikov stared at him in horror his men pointed their guns at the creature the doctor at jamie and at me they were young men mostly terrified out of their wits the lansings lay dead at the creature's feet and the soldiers knew they might be next but the doctor persevered it uh, is in their best interests, and isn't that what we all want? The checker investigator held the doctor's gaze, then slowly lowered his gun. But, doctor! The doctor held up a hand and Jamie fell silent. The creature led us back through to the amorphous structure of controls. The doctor looked them over, checking the ship was fully repaired and could make its way back to planet k 191 we were all ready to go. The doctor explained that he'd tell the parents that their children were not coming back. Not ever. The children. He'd woken the children when he'd worked the controls. And they really didn't like what he'd said about never seeing their parents again. The creature cried out as well, sharing the anguish of the children and furious at the doctor for bringing on this pain. I had felt it the way the creature shared our feelings and fears. And now it was bombarded with the terror it had wrought on the children. The terror the doctor had spread. It lashed out at the doctor. The doctor held his ground as the huge, porridgey arm came towards him. Chebrikov. <laughs> he threw himself between the doctor and the creature and took the full force of the blow. It smashed him into the doctor hard, sending them both sprawling back. The doctor moaned where he lay on the floor, and Chebrikov lay dead. Chebrikov's men were no match for it either. Their bullets didn't even slow it down. The creature smashed through them. Jamie put himself between me and the creature as it stalked towards us. But I stepped forward, stepping over one of the soldiers. The creature raised an angry, misshapen arm to smash into my head. You see what you've done? You're no better than these people! The creature gazed down at me with its eyeless, lumpy head. The cavity of its mouth fell open in dismay. We stood in the glaring afternoon heat as the ship gracefully eased into the sky. The doctor was barely conscious. Jamie and I had to help him back to the old town. A crowd of people awaited us, anxious for any news. Jamie just told them that the doctor had taken a fall, and Chebrikov had sent us back with a message. We pushed through the crowd, who didn't want to delay the investigation. And we soon got back to the TARDIS. <laughs> about the children? They were better off with the creature. They would have a better life. No! It was the only logical outcome. The creature was right all along. The doctor let the creature take them? No, he was furious. While Jamie fussed over him, I made the deal. No more children would be taken. None of them would go back. They'd have a life like I did, free from superstition and prejudice. What? What? you wanted the end of the story. So, what sort of person am I? Does the company want me on their side? Well, that didn't take long. What's the verdict? You know very well what you've done. Me? I've been locked in this room since you left. Your story. The whole thing. There isn't a planet K-1191. But there was something called that on file. The story you told... Wasn't true. I never travelled in time. But you remembered it. You showed me those files. Lansing's decoded letters. But only for a moment. You couldn't... I can read very quickly and I have total recall. I added a few things... Memories of the Doctor and Jamie from the one time I met them. And maybe something from my dreams. I joined up the dots for you. And when I got stuck, you volunteered more details. I barely described Lansing, or his wife, or the creature. You're the one who brought them to life. When you mentioned the last time you saw your mother... You sought permission to check my records, to corroborate what I'd said. The computer gave you authority. Someone big in the company likes you. They let you see whatever you wanted. Then you dropped in K-1191. I searched and the computer brought up a file that I now had permission to see. A report on the elite program. What we've done to our children. What we did to you. You read it. And? It's a forgery. It must be. But you checked it against other evidence, which points in the same direction. The elite program can't be like that. They're our brightest children and we pay the highest price. The techniques they used on us, your parents, your families, everything that made you who you were. We're the children of the future, so they erase our past. I did say history isn't my best subject. But you said you remembered your mother. No, that was part of the story. You've got children of your own. How did you? You almost said so. I used it. So you would look at the file. It's all there in black and white. It just needed someone to read it. Someone who'd feel the loss of what they took from us. Someone who'd care. It could bring down the company. Why do you think they're so keen to discredit me? You travelled in time. That's why you're valuable. I never went with the doctor. That is what made me who I am. I still dream about all the places I might have gone. The freedom, the excitement, escaping the world of cold logic that they forced on me as a child. The company tried to use that, to mess with my mind, so they could write me off as a crank. I dream of the Doctor. I regret my decision every single day. But seen logically, it did me a favour. It's made me fight. My colleagues can say what they like, but I've seen and done so much. And it's made me realise the company is wrong. The elite programme has to be stopped. You want me to help you. You have to decide that for yourself. Share that file with anyone, and they'll try and silence you, like they've tried to silence me. If you don't, Well, what sort of person does that make you? You let the creature take those children. It was a story. I played you. But the evidence, you're named in Lansing's letters. You were at the school while Jamie played football. Hey, you said hands weren't allowed. No, that never happened. Lansing took this image. Jamie and the children. There's the doctor, and you. No, it can't be. They forged it. I was never there. Only in my dreams. The company are going to prove it to you. What's in your head is too valuable to stay locked away. It never happened. They want you to think I'm unstable and have grand illusions. But I have total recall. I remember everything. And I remember nothing about travelling in time. Please. What you read. You have to share it with others. That is my only hope. You've lied to me since we met. I'm sorry. I don't even know who you are. Would you have given up those children? It didn't happen. I made it up. But if it had... I said that to provoke a reaction. To make you check whatever evidence you could. So you'd be thorough and find that file. It fitted the story you started and the sort of person you thought me. But is it what I would do? Am I everything, my colleagues say? You've got all the evidence. My fate's in your hands, so you have to decide. What sort of person am I?